Okay, so let's let's unpack then this inspiration thing. I was going to do uh, Catholicity before I did inspiration, but I think uh, the kind of the, the track you're taking uh, makes more sense for us to to deal with inspiration uh, first and then yes. get to Catholicity. So mm-hmm. let's talk about that inspiration then, because my understanding of inspiration or divine inspiration is, as a lot of people are are uh, rife to call it. So when we talk about inspiration, we're talking about divine inspiration, inspired by God. Divine mm-hmm. is referring to God. And so um, when I think about that, I think about the writings of scripture um, having the quality of being God-breathed. It's not the authors or the process that's inspired, but it's the writings that are pro- uh, that are um, that are inspired. Okay, and so I want to read some scripture real quick because it really revolves around Second uh, Timothy three verses sixteen and seventeen. But really, it's the whole section of three uh, three verse ten through seventeen. I want to read it in, in its entirety, uh, and it says this. I'm reading from the ESV here. Uh, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise from salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And a lot of people will read that. Okay, so so that's the, the end of the section there. A lot of people will generally just say, hey, you know what? All scriptures God breathed, and the only focus is a focus on verses 16 and 17. And, and, and maybe that's all people need, but I think people really needed to hear the whole section there of uh, Paul imploring people there, uh, imploring Timothy uh, and, and the community uh, to whom Timothy was preaching uh, about what it means to understand the power of Scripture, the Scriptures that are being handed to them. Okay, and so that 2000 years later is very important for us to understand that scripture is inspired by God. It is literally breathed out by God and what it's profitable for. Why, you know, people often ask, why do I need this? You know, the, the Bible is antiquated. You know, it's from a bygone era. Do I want to live for I don't even live from a book that was written 200 years ago today. You know, why would I live from a book that's written 2000 years ago? today. But Paul in his writings to Timothy says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So there is profitable, profit, profitability, <laughs> that's, that's the word, sorry, uh, profitability in the scriptures. And I don't mean, hey, you know, if you read this, God will make you rich. Don't hear me saying that because that is heresy. Um, but it is saying that scripture is valuable. It does these things across time because it is breathed out by God. That's what we mean when we say 
divine inspiration. Justin, are you and I on the same page on that? Because I know people have different understandings of how inspiration, well, I think we're pretty much on the same page of what inspiration is. We might be on different pages in terms of how inspiration works itself out. Well, I mean, I think um, when you're talking about how inspiration works from the reader reader's position, I think that you and I are, are on the same page. I think that when we talk about how that looks from the writer's perspective, um, I think that that is a bit more um, nuanced. Um, where we see inspiration, which inspiration really is, um, I mean, it's a play on Ruach and Numa, essentially, which are... Um, it's a play on what? You broke up there. It's a, it's a play on Ruach and Numa. So spirit, air, breath. So when it says that every word of God, every every you know every sacred writing, every scripture is breathed out by God, that breathed word is is pneuma, right? So yeah, that's wind, that's wind, what it's spirit in Greek, right? Wind, spirit, ruach. So that it's he's he's calling, he's hearkening back to something that we see at the very beginning when it says that the spirit of God hovered above the waters. Okay, and then all, and then God begins to speak. There's something that's going on there theologically that a lot of people don't pay attention to because they're so worried about you know making Genesis one into a history book, but or a science book. But um, you know, it's one of those things where we have to really get to understanding what inspiration is, and when we look at inspiration as God breathed we see this consistent narrative within the biblical text where every time God speaks, something is created. So whether that means that within the human person, a truth is brought about through the revelation of God's word. Okay. But we see this constant kind of popping up and that's what we see in inspiration. We know, and the church recognized inspiration based on the lives of the Christians they saw around them. They all went, when we read these 27 books, and when we follow the commands that are within them, and when we look at the Old Testament texts, and we follow the commands that are in them, we recognize that there is something that happens that we can't explain. That God works something in this that we don't necessarily completely understand. And that really is what it boils down to inspiration and life change and an altering of the mind. So scripture tells us in Romans that we have to have a renewal of the mind. It really means that there's going to be practical applicability to how we actually look. We're going to look different. We're going to sound different. We're going to act different. And the inspiration of scripture um, is proven so there's this reciprocal relationship between human humanity and the word of God where inspiration, we are changed because of inspiration, but the inspiration of scripture is affirmed through every Christian that lives their life in accordance with the text and God works through, right? So there's this cycle of affirmation <laughs> that occurs within Christian community within the word of God. So it's a much more live lively interaction then I think a lot of people recognize um, because, you know, they're so worried about, you know, how things necessarily looked right. back so in it's the day. Like, 
it's it's like God will not like it is uh, my understanding of uh, inspiration is that and and let's not get this wrong. There are lots of different understandings of inspiration of scripture. Okay? Sure. Um, the particular inspiration of scripture uh, or theory of inspiration of scripture uh, that I subscribe to is verbal plenary uh, inspiration of scripture, which I'll, I'll parse out for you here in a bit. Um, but I never want anybody to think that the, the theory or the understanding is the thing itself. Whether my theory is right, whether my understanding is right, um, all of us agree, all Christians agree that scripture is inspired. How that works out, there are different understandings, and some might be wrong, some might be wrong, uh, some might be right. Um, I personally believe that uh, that my viewpoint is, uh, is the correct one, but if it's not, uh, it's not a deal breaker. It's not one of those things where you go to hell over it, right? It's not a, it's not a heresy by any means, uh, by any way, shape, or form, um, but... The idea of what you were talking about there, Justin, is that God kind of writes scripture in concert with human authors. Okay, so there's this, there's kind of this dance, so to speak. And um, you're just kind of very basic on that. So I would take it further when I'm talking about verbal uh, plenary inspiration. Let me parse this out uh, real quick. Um, it's the belief that God wrote scripture in concert with human authors, uh, whom he kind of inspired to perfectly... Um, perfectly record his words, perfectly record them uh, in the original languages. And so that's called verbal plenary inspiration. And so verbal means the very words of the Bible. Plenary means every part of the Bible. Inspiration, uh, God breathed. Okay, so very simply, that means that, that God, the Holy Spirit, inspired not just the thoughts of Scripture, but also the very details and the exact words that were perfectly recorded for us as scripture in the original languages. So that's why you can get an English version that's different than a Swedish version that's different than a Swahili version. But if we're talking about the Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew, uh, it is my understanding through verbal plenary inspiration that God got the exact words he was looking for. Okay, if we believe that God can create the world in seven days or whether he used a million years as different uh, points of view on that, we could tackle that in a different podcast. If God is able to do those things, he can get his words right. And so uh, let me parse out a little bit more real quick. Verbal. When I use the word verbal, what I mean is that every word matters and has meaning. Because we live in this day and age where everybody wants to parse out every single syllable and use different definitions of sing, you know, singular words. And so when you get into scripture, the words have meaning. The words that God chose through inspiration have meaning. So that's why Jesus says in Matthew 5.18, not an iota, not a dot of the Bible can be ignored. Okay? So words have meaning. Theological nomenclature is uh, the $25 word that some people use, right? Uh, and then when I say plenary, what I mean by that is there are no parts of the Bible that we don't believe. There are no parts of the Bible that we do not like. There are no parts of the Bible that we wouldn't teach or preach or obey. We don't avoid any of the Bible. Some of it might be a little bit boring. When you get into the book of Numbers, it's kind of boring. I'm not going to lie. But th 
there are a lot of people, there are many people who would kind of chop up the Bible. They would sift the Bible to kind of make it say what they wanted to say, rather than humbly submitting to its words and authority in the life of the believer, um, which is talked about in 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17. Go check it out. Um, an example of this would be Thomas Jefferson. If you ever heard of the Jefferson Bible, Thomas Jefferson didn't like the miracles of Jesus. And so he took out all references to the miracle of Jesus. And that's how we got the Jefferson Bible. Um, you have the uh, the Jesus seminar that literally uses colored rocks or colored marbles. Um, not exactly sure, but they use a colored something to uh, to vote on what they believe are actual statements of Jesus, possible statements of Jesus, and not actual statements of Jesus in the scriptures. And so we end up and land on this Bible that is nowhere near what the you know, the apostles laid down in scripture for us. And so when I talk about plenary, I'm talking about there's nothing in the Bible that I would take out. There's nothing in the Bible that I would erase. There's nothing in the Bible that I would avoid preaching or teaching on. That's what we mean by plenary. So verbal, you know, inspired by God, every word matters. Plenary, there's no parts that we would avoid. Inspiration, breathed out by God. Hopefully that makes sense. Justin, does that make sense to you? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the definition makes sense. Okay. I'm really, really glad that you decided not to condemn every person that doesn't adhere to that because I do not. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, uh, I feel that um, inspiration, and that's why I said inspiration, we agreed with how inspiration works within the community of faith, but probably how it works from the writer a little differently. And I was correct in that assertion. <laughs> um, the process is considerably more human than I think um, you're allowing it to be. And I think that that's a problem that a lot of more conservative evangelicals have. And that's because anytime that you put something in the hands of humanity, they have a tendency to screw it up. Right. Um, the interesting thing is that um, God has allowed us to be a part of his... Um, salvific plan for how this world is reached and for how his people are accumulated in number. That's a pretty big task to behold. If we can be involved in that, in building of kingdom, and, uh, you know, Cal, when you and I, when we do ministry, when we do, uh, when we preach, when we, there's a considerable number of man hours that go into that. There's a considerable number of study and prayer and um, personal effort that's put in. It's not something that just happens. And um, I think the difficulty that you get with verbal plenary inspiration is that uh, you give the impression that years of study and man hours had to go into um, these texts. Um, and I think what you do is you, you, you really kind of strike the humanity of, of the text in general, which is a problem for me because if we believe scripture is completely human and completely divine, like Jesus is completely human and completely divine, um, which is, there's supposed to be a parallel there. That's been there since the beginning of church history. Um, then we have to allow the Bible to be human 
as well as divine. We can't we can't try to uh, diminish its humanity and exalt its divinity in an attempt to um, control the things that you know maybe make us a little uncomfortable because there isn't as much certainty involved. Um, I don't I buy see, into I don't that. I don't know that it diminishes the humanity. Uh, my understanding of it has always been, and I'm not an expert on it. This is just my understanding from what I've, I'm taught. So I'm, I'm teaching it as a novice, not as an expert. So I want my listeners to understand that. Uh, if you want to know more about verbal plenary inspiration of scripture um, or the viewpoint that, uh, that Justin uh, espouses, look it up on your own. Please do. This is a very basic uh, kind of deal. But to, to respond to what you were saying there, Justin, um, my understanding, again, is and I think I was very careful with the language there is that the belief that God wrote scripture in concert with human author, uh, authors whom he inspired to perfectly record his words. Uh, and so what I'm saying there, what I believe is say, being said there in terms of uh, verbal plenary inspiration, my understanding through my studies uh, is that he is not usurping someone's free will. He is not usurping the culture uh, that they are from. He is not usurping the culture uh, that they are writing into, because sometimes it might be from one culture writing into another. Sometimes they're writing to their own uh, own culture. He's not usurping their own background. They are not some automaton just writing down their eyes rolling up into the back of their head. And I think that sometimes the the vision that is communicated about verbal, verbal plenary inspiration, I think, and, and you haven't really communicated exactly the name of your view for me to kind of go, oh, okay, that's what you're talking about. Um, but uh, my understanding is that he is working, when I say in concert with, I think of a concert in terms of the conductor, okay, he's, he's you know, waving his baton, and, and then the, the orchestra is playing in unison with, but both are just as important uh, in, the, in the interplay there. So that's my understanding of uh, how that works. Maybe that's not as close to, or maybe it's a poor example. If I talk to someone who is a, you know, systematic theologian and talks about this stuff all the time, but uh, that's my understanding of how this inspiration works. He's not just, you know, taking over a person's personality uh, entirely. I think their humanity is fully intact as they are writing this and they don't even know uh, that they are writing scripture, but God does, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Just, I, I think that with an understanding of how ancient literature works, um, I do not see verbal plenary inspiration as very practical when you have an understanding of ancient literature and the way that it's written um, and the way that it's understood. So, uh, you know, I'm not a proponent of something of... Well, okay. Well, I'm I'm not even going to go to that. Um, how about we just go to the synoptic gospel? So let's stay in the New Testament where we talk about, you know, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and the close relationship and proximity between all of those texts, and the possibility of a Q document and all that other kind of fun stuff. We're, we're not going to get into that right now. That will be probably an a, a podcast down the road. Um, but without getting too much into the the text criticism issues, um. Essentially, when we understand how all of those texts interplay with one another and borrow from one another, um, we don't see a 
we don't see a commander control of the language that's con that's worried about consistency of consistency of grammar or even specifics. Um, we see a what we see within literature is the narrative that's being told within that particular gospel. Okay, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, while they all borrow from one another, and it, there's a bunch of different theories on how that works, um, they all have their distinct flavor when you read each one. Um, and that it's that flavor in which they're written that needs to be paid attention to in order to really understand what that gospel is trying to bring forward about the person of Jesus. Um, I think that verbal plenary inspiration takes that takes away from that. I think that it it makes it seem like if all the words if all the words are perfectly recorded. Um, now that doesn't mean that we don't pay attention to every word. It doesn't mean that we don't pay attention to the grammar that's being used. It doesn't mean that. I mean, we have to in order to understand the thought behind the, what the words are what words are being said. So I think that we get so tied up in the issue of words that we lose understanding of what words are. Words are symbols that get across ideas, thoughts, and concepts. So essentially, when you're talking about words, you're talking about ideas and concepts. You're not necessarily talking about the symbols themselves. The symbols don't matter. Okay, The symbols don't matter. It's the ideas and the concepts that bring about life change. That's what matters. Okay, And when we get so focused on words then that's when we get to this point to where we start talking about well then you know you shouldn't use a new living translation or the message because it's a paraphrase or because it's it's a more you know loose translation and you know you should only use the esv because it's word for word or the nasb because it's word for word or the king james because it's word for word and we get so stuck up on the word thing that um <laughs> we have a tendency to like lose the point and that's the problem that verbal plenary inspiration brings about to me. Having um, this is an area of study within theology, bibliology, that I've spent a good majority of my 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 masters working in. And um, for me, what I've seen consistently within the last three hundred years of American Christianity is this propensity to focus in on the most mundane, stupid, idiotic things with regard to this entire debate um, that aren't even expressed within Scripture itself. And when we do those sorts of things, we add to the text, which is exactly what Revelation tells us not to be doing. <laughs> um, so I understand the intention and the concept behind verbal plenary inspiration, but I have I, I don't know issue that it, I, because... I, 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 just I'd like with inerrancy, I'd step back from the it adds to the scripture Bible. thing, because adding to scripture thing is a it's a it's that's a very lofty claim, and that's a claim that puts someone out of heaven. Well, let's be honest. So I, I I'd be like maybe a step shy of that. <laughs> maybe maybe like if if I was going to make that accusation, which I believe well, the accusation believe is wrong, in but verbal plenary inspiration that every word matter. The fact that those words aren't in the Bible. Oh. Well, okay, so we're, we're, about to, we're, talk, we're about to talk about Catholic as well, right? Catholic right. is not in the Bible. 